We're going to be in verse 18 of chapter 16 of Proverbs. And while you're turning there, out in the great plains of the United States, the sky is absolutely huge. Now, some of you may have grown up there or you've spent some time out there, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, There are not uh, trees and hills for the most part, and so your view of the heavens above is overwhelmingly vast, at least to somebody like me who's used to only seeing a piece of the sky at a time. You can see for miles in any direction, and it's as if you're out on the ocean, except instead of being surrounded by water, you're surrounded by waves of, of crops and prairie grass that are blowing gently in the breeze. It's a beautiful sight. And as you stand under that momentous blue sky, white clouds drifting overhead, and the sun is on your face, it's very disconcerting to look in a direction and see a storm on the horizon. At least for me it is. Because from a distance you can see the entire storm, which is even miles away. And it seems to hurry towards you as if it's late for an appointment with you. And the storm is black and gray and all sorts of strange colors. And there's bright flashes of of lightning that are angrily zapping at targets within the murky shadows of the rain that is pouring down in the midst of the storm. And as you stand there watching it, you realize that very soon you're going to be in the middle of all of that. Now we've seen, uh, all, all of us have seen at least a few news photos and videos of the, the sudden annihilation that a storm like that can bring. We have seen the splintered neighborhoods from tornadoes and the ruined crops, vehicles and piles as if a, a, a child with his Hot Wheel collection had just thrown them all into a corner. And sometimes, sadly, we even hear of the death toll and the toll on human lives who were injured, and some of them for life. Well, this is the picture that our passage today is painting regarding pride. This week we're meditating on pride in verse 18 of chapter 16. And next week we're going to consider the very verse, verse 19. And that is about the opposite of pride, which of course is humility. But today, uh, we're focusing on verse 18, but I'm going to go ahead and read both verses together, uh, just so that we get a glimpse of the whole picture and, and understand what's coming ahead for us next week as well. So Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide spoil with the proud. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Now the point here in verse 18 is that if you are a prideful, destruction is coming toward you. It's coming for you. Uh, you, you might be enjoying the earthly spoils of pride, the, the nice blue sky and the gentle breeze right now. But it is inevitable that, you're, that, that the storm is going to envelop you and destroy you. That is, if you don't repent. Without repentance, pride ominously foretells of your broken relationship with God and all of its attending consequences. 
That's the essence of destruction in the Bible, to be apart from God. Pride in Proverbs is deeply spiritual. It amounts to a rejection of God. Pride in Scripture means thinking too highly of yourself. As my dad would have said, you're getting too big for your britches. Or maybe your head is swelling, so you need a bigger hat, right? Well, as your head grows, your dependence on God shrinks, doesn't it? And then you become uh, so big in your own mind and so significant that everyone around you becomes smaller and less significant. And what that leads to is your mistreatment of them in your pride. You forget God's justice. You you forget your loving duty to God to treat others as more important as yourselves, as Paul insists that a true follower of Christ will do. And so some people, even Christians, feel so sure of their self-sufficiency that deep down they really resent giving thanks to God. And that's because it takes away from their hard work to give God credit. They might try to reclaim some of the credit by repeating uh, something we may be familiar with, the Protestant work ethic, which is an errant worldly doctrine disguised as Christian. God helps those who help themselves. Well, this is the kind of attitude that is only justifiable if we can reasonably declare, I brought myself into the world. I endowed myself with all of my talents and abilities. I raised myself. I taught myself all I know. And I control my present and even my future. I just need God for a few things. Of course, nobody can honestly say that. But some of us do anyway, don't we? And so our passage today focuses on pride that shoves God aside and therefore inevitably brings destruction to our own lives and to the lives of others. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So as we meditate together on all of this this morning, here's the key lesson that the Holy Spirit through Solomon wants us to understand. Pride is spiritual devastation. Pride is spiritual devastation. But why is that true? Why is pride so dangerous? We're going to attempt to answer that question today. But before we do, we need to recognize something. We need to remember that there, there is a healthy kind of pride too. We mustn't forget this or get it confused with the, 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 the sin of pride. This, this kind of healthy pride has nothing to do with the arrogance and injustice that we find in verse 18. Uh, Paul even expresses this kind of pride uh, as, he, as he tells the Philippians of his love for them in the beginning of his letter to them. In Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul declares, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all uh, always in, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so, likewise, my wife Leslie and I can say that we are very proud of our sons, both of them. We're proud of their good character. In being proud of them, 
what we mean is that we have a deep sense of, of pleasure and satisfaction in them. And this kind of pride is, is just simply a deep joy in who they are. Just as Paul is rejoicing the work that God has done in the lives of the believers at Philippi. So we can also even be appropriately proud of ourselves. Maybe we've lost some weight. That takes a lot of hard work. Maybe we finally get the A in the difficult class or we, we, we learn the discipline of saving money or, or realizing that we've, we're wasting too much time and so we discipline ourselves to stop binge-watching TV shows or whatever the case may be. We're, we're proud in that we made the effort that God wanted us to make. That's healthy when we recognize that we needed God in order to do those things. And we still do. We need God to do everything that we do. We remember that He is the author of the good things that we do. But here's where our sense of pride can turn into evil. Just flat out, unadulterated evil. That's when we begin to diminish God's role or say that we did it ourselves or we claim that our children are are better and more deserving of special treatment than than other people's kids. Or we we strive to get good things for our children or, or for ourselves at the expense of other people. That's the injustice that this passage speaks of. That haughty spirit that puts down other people and elevates ourselves. I once knew a man who was buying a truck, and the salesman, by mistake, wrote a much lower price on the contract, uh, a much lower price than they had agreed to. And so uh, this man uh, told me very proudly uh, the story of how he signed that contract in a hurry before the salesman noticed his mistake. And as a result of that, my acquaintance got the truck for $20,000 less than he should have. And the salesman lost his job. You see, that's what pride causes us to do. It causes us to be dishonest. It causes us to treat people in in an abhorrent kind of way not caring about the consequences for them, only caring about how it's going to lift us up. That's the essence of pride. And so here is where we begin to see the answer to our question. Why is pride so dangerous? It's dangerous because we develop such a warped view of ourselves and of our role in the world that we're drawn away from God instead of toward Him. Being apart from God is the most dangerous thing in the entire universe. And so the equation that Proverb makes is that, that, uh, is that prideful people are shut off from God. I mean, after all, by their very nature, they don't really want God. They want to exalt themselves. And so we see in Proverbs 16.5, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And so we see that pride is an evil that is indeed very worthy of God's anger because it pushes God aside and exalts ourselves. 
And so prideful people are the epitome of foolishness, according to Proverbs. And that's because they hate wisdom. And in doing so, they actually invite God's wrath. It's like saying to God, here I am, pour it all out on me. But they don't believe that's going to happen. They directly oppose God. But you see, this is just like believing uh, that you really could stand in the middle of a highway like Superman and with your outstretched arms stop a speeding semi. That's how ridiculous this is to oppose God or to think that we have anything of value that usurps what God can give us. And so this is why our verse today is nestled in chapter 16, which declares in no uncertain terms the absolute sovereignty of God. It's important for us to understand the foolishness of pride in the context of God's pure, holy, unadulterated, absolute rule over our lives. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In other words, human responsibility is always subject to God's absolute sovereignty. And so when our hearts are right with God, we're in harmony with God's will. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And so back to chapter 16 of Proverbs. In verse 4, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And so even those who reject God cannot escape God's sovereign will. There's nowhere that that a person can go to escape God. And denying that God exists doesn't make God go away either. Denying His sovereignty doesn't make God any less sovereign. And so God uses even the evil ways of the foolish to accomplish His good just as He did with Joseph's brothers, where they threw him into the pit and sold him into slavery. And so Joseph, at the end of his life, could say what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. And look at all of the good that came out of that. And then in Proverbs 16, 16, God's sovereign care for us assures us of our restored relationship with God. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That is an act of God and of God alone. It's a sovereign act of God's sovereign will. And then in April, we considered Proverbs 16.9, this beautiful statement about the sovereignty of God. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We learned that, that uh, back then in April that God always accomplishes His will on a macro scale as well as in our individual lives. God always perfectly fulfills His plans. He never fails. And then the very last verse of Proverbs 16 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so we learn that there's absolutely no such thing as luck. God rules every decision of our lives, and He cares for us sovereignly. He orders our lives according to His will. 
And so the point of all of this is that God's sovereign will is never interrupted, it's never thwarted, never changed, never to be overcome. And all of this this absolute authority and sovereignty of God sheds light on the fact that thinking even for a millisecond that we are better than God or that we know better than God or that we are somehow truly self-sufficient, all of that just is utter foolishness in light of God's sovereignty, isn't it? And that's the futility of pride. To entertain pride is to declare that there can be some other plot to the story other than the one that God had planned. It's another way to... Uh, there, there can be another way to contentment and happiness. There can be some other reality than the God of Scripture. That is so dangerous because God proves over and over and over again that His way is the only way. And praise be to God, His way is for us to submit ourselves to His will. That takes genuine humility before God. And that's what we're going to look into more next week. But you see, if we do not submit, God is warning us. He's pointing to the horizon. He's already pointed out to us. And He's saying there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming if you do not repent. And I guarantee you that you're going to be in that storm and there will be destruction for you if you hold on to your pride. In some way, shape, or form, you're going to experience destruction, spiritual destruction and devastation. Now we understand because we read our Bibles the devastation of that storm for somebody who rejects Christ wholeheartedly. The wages of sin is death. But pride exists even in the hearts of us believers sometimes, doesn't it? Because we have inherited Adam's sinful nature. And the casualties of pride are always a diminished or severed relationship with God and an abandonment on our part of godly justice. This is exactly what happens to the people of Israel, God's very own people in the mid-8th century before Christ. God sovereignly had taken care of His people through all sorts of things, through great trials and slavery in Egypt and wandering through the wilderness and all these battles with God's enemies and threats to their safety uh, and even through the misbehavior of a lot of corrupt kings. And because of the care of God, because He watched over them and took care of them through all of that, His people reach a point of prosperity and peace. So you'd think they'd be pretty grateful, don't you? I mean, you'd think they'd be pretty grateful for God, to God for all of that. You'd think their worship service would be something else. They'd be full of this beautiful, solemn joy as they recount all of God's great deeds for them. But instead, as their prosperity increases... Instead of using their prosperity to the glory of God and giving thanks to God, they begin to turn their attention to pleasing themselves. A lot of this is described in the book of Amos. The memory of God's sovereign hand and their prosperity and peace begins to fade. And along with it, their relationship with God fades. And that's because most of the people, there were a few who were faithful, but most of the people didn't really think they needed God anymore. I mean, I mean, everything's looking good. What, what, what could we possibly need? We don't really need God right now. 
And so their worship becomes something that's purely ritualistic because their hearts are not in it. Pride, you see, is always, always, always a heart issue. And as they forget God, they also forget His justice. The, power, the powerful uh, end up using the poor and the weak to make their power and, and wealth even greater. And so they come to this point where they actually think that they have earned their wealth and their peace themselves. That they've earned it without God. They, they begin to think that they own their own prosperity and that they own the right to, to control their own lives. You know, this is kind of like when we were teenagers, and my apologies to current teenagers. Just take this with a grain of salt. I'm kind of poking a little fun at you, but remember that all of us uh, who are older than you uh, were also teenagers once. But ever since you were a little kid, you probably thought about uh, the stuff in your house, uh, something like this. You thought of it as belonging to you, right? Uh, you told your friends, well, this is my bed, this is my dresser, this is, these are my toys, uh, this is my house, and this is my car, and, and that kind of thing. This, is, this is, was your mindset when you were a little kid. But now, uh, it's, you're getting ready to go out on your own, and, and the day comes, and you realize that mom and dad aren't going to let you take that nice bed or that nice dresser with you. They're going to keep it. And instead, they're going to buy uh, that cheap plastic set of drawers Walmart and buy you while they're there a cheap mattress that you can throw on the floor of your dorm or your apartment or wherever you end up living and suddenly you realize that you need to start saving for a car and all you can afford is something that you wouldn't be caught dead in what this moment teaches us is how well that our parents cared for us. Most of us can say this. There are a few exceptions, and, and I acknowledge that. But for most of us, through all of our years of belly aching and upset stomachs and complaining and bad grades and all of those things, our parents took good care of us. They gave us what we needed. And the only right response to that kind of care when we realize that, that that's what they've done, is thanksgiving. But back to God's people, as Amos uh, prophesies to them and chastises them, God's people end up reacting like spoiled brats, just like some spoiled teenagers do when they feel entitled to things. I'm not going to tell you which one I was, but you see, God's people forgot what God had done for them. So it's no wonder that God has this to say about their pride. In Amos chapter 6, verse 8, The Lord God has sworn by Himself, declares the Lord, the, Lord, the, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Now, when God says he abhors, abhors the pride of Jacob, he's not talking specifically about the man who was Isaac's son, but instead he's talking about uh, all of Jacob's spiritual descendants among the 12 tribes uh, for whom his sons were the patriarchs. In other words, God is talking about the pride of his own people who in their pride have shoved God aside or even forgotten it. 
And that's exactly what pride does, doesn't it? It takes us away from God. Last week, Pastor John showed us beautifully how humility draws us closer to Christ. And today we're learning that the very real and present danger of pride is the opposite. It draws us away from Christ. It draws us away from our Lord. And there are consequences for that. There is pain. There is pain. There is destruction. God declares uh, in, in our passage in, in Amos uh, chapter 6, He says, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. The storm cloud's coming. It is coming if you don't repent of your pride. And of course, all of that happens to God's people about 200 years after Amos when God disperses Judah and Israel, the two kingdoms, Jewish kingdoms, into the Babylonian captivity as punishment for their unfaithfulness and pride, God had given them ample time to repent, but they refused to do so. So that's when the storm came. You see, pride was also part of the sin that Adam and, uh, of Adam and Eve. They thought they knew better than God. They believed uh, the, the certain serpent's doubt that somehow there might be a better way to walk than in paradise with perfect union with the Father. That somehow there could be something better than that. And so God addresses their sin of pride. And He teaches them that there was not a better way to walk. And that the consequence of their pride was to begin a cycle of suffering and hardship and pain for thousands of years. Adam and Eve wanted their own way, didn't they? And God gave them exactly that, along with all of the consequences of it, of living apart from the living God. And we, brothers and sisters, have inherited that sinful nature. And pride is a primary symptom of our sinful nature. And so this means that even as God hates pride on a corporate level, the same is true for each one of us individually. Pride is spiritual devastation for us individually. Spiritual devastation means a broken and hindered relationship with God. Individually, pride can of course mean that we will never know God. If we hang on to our pride and we reject Christ, we're too proud to confess our sins. We're too proud to, to bow to the Father uh, and, and worship Him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We even reject that sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I have, and I know many of you have, and it's the saddest thing to hear, especially in light of a verse like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To claim otherwise is pure pride. It's pure sin. It's pure evil. And for those who persist in pride, that storm is on its way. But you know, most of us are, are past that point. We, we understand and agree that that we ourselves have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we depend on the shed blood of Christ uh, to reconcile us to the Father. So most of us are genuine believers. 
No one's going to snatch us out of our Savior's hand, not even our own pride. But brothers and sisters, when we hang on to our sin, no matter what it is, we cannot have the relationship with God that we could. This is why God tells us over and over again to be holy as I am holy. That's when we are in communion with Him. And Christ Himself warns us that pride is abhorrent to God, whether we follow Christ or not. Pride defiles us, as, as Jimmy read in the passage in Mark 7 a little bit ago. It defiles us. And Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man. You see, pride is a matter of the heart, just as all sin is. And so from, from out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's a disgusting list, isn't it? And Jesus says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus here is bringing up the specter of how pride, just as all the sins on his list, pride is not an accidental act of of our will, but it's the intention of our hearts. Pride is something we do intentionally. This is the outpouring of evil from our hearts. Pride is a double-mindedness that claims on the one hand to know and to love Christ and to follow Him, but on the other hand, denies our need for Him, even if we deny it in what we think are small ways. We exalt ourselves and diminish the work of Jesus Christ. And in that case, our worship even can become something that God hates because it's not real. This is what uh, God says through Amos in chapter 5, 23. Take away uh, from me all the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. That's what God says. You see, what we all need to realize is that the problem of pride isn't a problem only for the unbeliever or only for somebody online or for somebody else in your life whom you disagree with. Pride is a problem for the believer as well. You see, as we learn to put on our new selves as Paul exhorts us to do, what we're doing is doing battle with our flesh. We're doing battle with the very sinful nature that we're trying to put to death through our relationship with Christ. And what that means is that all of us are susceptible to pride. Again, no, if your faith in Christ is genuine, you're not going to lose your salvation because of pride. After all, God ultimately kept his covenant with his people, uh, even after he punished them in the exile, because he sent them a perfect high priest. He sent them a perfect high priest to make the perfect atoning sacrifice for their sins. And he established the throne of David forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so because the work of Christ is finished, if we have genuine trust in him, our salvation cannot be obliterated. But brothers and sisters, why in the world would we want to go on sinning? 
Don't we want to live every moment of our lives for Him? Don't we want every day to learn to walk in Him and come closer to Him? You see, pride is still dangerous to us because it still comes in so many forms that will hinder our relationship to God even as it hurts other people. There are all sorts of pride. There's like, for instance, the pride of race that we're battling in our culture today. And I'm not talking about the politics and all the opinions about that. I'm just talking about the simple fact that there are a whole lot of people running around hating other people just because of their DNA. And that is the epitome of pride, to think that because of my DNA, I'm somehow better than somebody else. There's also spiritual pride, which we believers all too often uh, put on ugly display on social media, right? There's also the pride of riches, since wealth gives us status and power, makes us feel special and set apart from everyone else. And so we can become so warped spiritually that we think there are things that are even more important than our relationship to God. But you know, on a personal level, I think there's an even more insidious kind of pride. And that's the pride of unworthiness. This is something that I've struggled with for most of my life. The pride of unworthiness. I know that sounds like a weird contradiction in terms. But brothers and sisters, we can come to a place where we dwell in our unworthiness of God's grace rather than dwelling in His grace. You see, uh, we understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. We understand that. But then we can take that to an unhealthy level, to that prideful level. And our unworthiness becomes uh, sort of a mantra that we repeat so often in our heads and in our hearts that every day we feel this, this deep condemning regret for our sins. Sins that were even long ago. And God has said, when he looks upon Christ, he remembers our sins no more. And in spite of that, we end up doubting the sufficiency of God's grace. And we hide our doubt by couching everything in, in spiritual-sounding language. Oh, the remorse and the regret that I have over my sins. And we find ourselves in a bottomless pit of wishing that we could go back and do it all over so that maybe, well, maybe we just might not need so much of God's grace. Do you see how that's pride? You see, lately as I've studied this verse and I've, I've meditated on what pride means, I've realized that this is not a holy attitude. That there's really not much difference in me if I hang on to this than the person who says that they don't need God. To wish we needed God less? Wow. That's to say that, we might, that it might have been possible for us to be righteous on our own. That's pride. And so I confess this morning to God and to you my sin of pride. This has been a, a, a long-standing sin of mine. But praise be to God. God has also given us 
all of us the right way and that is to be truly humble before God so humble that that we allow God to erase our pride when we fully accept his grace when we humble ourselves before God and we realize that we need him in every way and this is exactly what Amos exhorts God's people to do right after he declares that he's not going to listen that God is not going to listen to their songs he says to repent in verse 24 of Amos 5 let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream you see the way that we turn away from our sin, the way that we turn away from our sin is not by gritting our teeth and trying harder, but it's through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. There's nothing left that we need to cleanse ourselves from when we confess our sins and trust in the cross. And this is true for you right now if you've never even had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can begin your walk with Him right now. You can begin your walk with Him and you do it by confessing your sins to Him. You do it by receiving the grace that He has for you. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. There's God's sovereign hand again. God prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them. And you know, all of this is true for us as followers of Christ too because we still need God, don't we? We still need Jesus. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so we must examine ourselves and plead with the Holy Spirit to show us where we sin in pride. Because you know what? Most of us do in one way or t'other. <laughs> Most of us do. Maybe you struggle with the pride of race. Maybe you are too proud of what you have made of yourself. Maybe you're proud of your poverty even. You wear it like a badge of resentment against those for whom God has blessed more. Maybe you're proud of your riches and you think that, that all of your riches make you somehow better than somebody who has less. Maybe you're proud of your political views and you don't mind putting people down at all who disagree with you. Maybe you're practicing injustice and oppression over people who are weaker than you. You see, all of these things are signs that we're actually lording over God and lording over other people, which God expressly forbids. And so we've all got to remember that God has warned you about the storm on the horizon and you can see it because he has said that it is there and it is. And the consequence of your pride 
if you hang on to your pride as a broken relationship with Him, one that at the very least will be less of a blessing to you. And because of that, because of all of that, the ultimate end of pride is spiritual devastation. It's that sense of being apart from God, even if we're only partly apart from Him. That's a horrible place to be. We want to be walking in Him. And so the good news is that the storm does not have to come for you. God will turn it away as soon as you repent. And your relationship with with your Father will be restored and the sky will remain blue and you will marvel at His greatness and you will thank Him for it as you learn to live in righteousness and justice. Amen. Let's take a minute or so and ponder these things in our own hearts. Let's bow our heads, pray silently, look at the ceiling whatever's good for you, just bow your heads and let's spend about a minute. I'll be watching the clock, so don't worry about the time. And ask God to show you if you need to repent as well. Holy, gracious, sovereign, almighty God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the conviction that you give us as we meditate upon your word. And as you uh, delve into the depths of our souls and reveal what is there, we thank you, Father, that you have provided for us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that through that salvation that we can experience your grace as we bow down before you, as we worship you, and as we confess our sins to you. You are beautiful, Lord. You are more magnificent and momentous than that sky out on the great plains. You are beautiful because of what you have done for us, namely in the sacrifice of your Son. But not only in that, but in all of the ways that you take care of us, in all of the ways that you sovereignly rule over our lives and protect us and draw us ever nearer to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And please accept our worship of you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.